Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm really good, Dave. How are how are you on this fine Friday afternoon? I'm tremendous. Tremendous. Never better. Never that's, better. That's pretty nice. I mean, yeah. you gotta feel really fortunate. It's what, 71 degrees? It's gotta be like something like that. 68, yeah. somewhere in that in that comfort band of 68 to 72. My daughter is in San Antonio, and she's lost power in her apartment. Water, they're boiling water. It's like 1847 in Texas right now. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Not good at all. Um, yeah. But, you know, here in, here in sunny Southern California, it's, uh, it's okay times right now because uh, UCLA beat Arizona. And it's always, it's always interesting to watch uh, Sean Miller's face get sad. <laughs> you know, he's less off-putting to me now than he used to be. I think the gray hair kind of adds a little of distinction when he's screaming as opposed to like a young, crazy person. Yeah, to an extent, but also I think in his older age, he's starting to appear more unhinged to me. Like, really, it's thought, one thing see, for a youngish guy to be screaming like a lunatic, but now, you know, what is he, 50? Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, it's starting to get maybe a little bit old, maybe a little bit, hey, you should calm down, you know, you're, you don't want to, you know, have a heart attack on the court. But, See, that's coming from a younger person. An older person thinks he deserves to be a little bit angry. Anger, older men are always angry. It was the younger version of him that was that looked insane. That he shouldn't have been that crazy. But yeah, no, I mean, bottom line, I wanted him to get some technicals and get thrown out again, but he just didn't. Even, I, there was no reason. I mean, there was no reason for him to be that angry. His team just. I mean, he should have been angry at his team because I thought, like I wrote, that team lost so much energy about six minutes into the second half. They were just, they looked like they were just rolling over to me. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought like kind of shockingly bad, um, just kind of a game plan for them. Um, they had some potential mismatches. Um, with their size down low and just didn't seem to take advantage of it. So I, I would attribute attribute a lot of that to coaching failures. Um, but yeah, it did just seem kind of like the fight was taken out of them five minutes into the second half when UCLA just kind of came out of the locker room determined to beat them up. Um, and I, I thought you nailed it in the thing, but even if he'd scored, I don't know, 12 points, uh, Jaime Hawkins is the entire reason for it because whatever he shot, it doesn't really matter. The energy he was bringing to the glass, even early on, there was a, I think it was like a breakaway dunk attempt or something for Arizona. And he came flying and hit the dude so hard and made him miss the layup or whatever it was. And it was like, that was really tone setting, I thought. Um, yeah. Just so much physicality from him. It was. I, I think it was the most physical he's played all year. Um, I don't think this year we saw uh, Jaime from last year, but last night that was much, much closer to the Jaime from last year in terms of the energy, the effort, the physicality. Um, and I thought that that more than literally anything else was what set the tone and made it, you know, kind of a a romp in the second half. He's a hard guy to read because he he. He has a poker face. I mean, he doesn't really react. Whether he's playing well or not playing well, he's got kind of that same blank face. Whether Cronin's yelling at him in the huddle, he's still got that blank face. Um, and like I wrote, I, I mean, how do you go about psychoanalyzing what happened to him? He, the last uh, four games, he took 20 shots, and in this game, he took 12. So, and, and I mean, I, I understand a lot of it was what, you know, is situation and matchup. Um, as soon as, uh, Tubalus, Tubalus, uh, Tubalus, say his name, say his first name too. Tubalus? Say his first name. I don't know his first What's name. His What's his first name? As, as Willowis, as, no, as I I, I'm not going to do that. Got his fourth foul. Um, it I mean, suddenly, um, 
uh, Jaime started having just a little bit more space to shoot. He looked almost surprised, too. He was all, well, what, I'll just take this 10-footer. So that was a great development, but he's, he has to take more shots. He's got to force his offense. He just, he just has to. Like you said, what Arizona's game plan was, I thought, uh, uh, pretty plain. It was going to try to take Campbell and Juzang uh, away from UCLA. And when UCLA struggled was because that was being effective <laughs> for, for a while until, well, Arizona just started to lose energy. And then UCLA found offense from other people. Um, I think you can't discount again the contribution of Jules Bernard. He had that big three. Um and just he seems he seems to have a really timely basket in in most games. You know what I mean? It's anywhere from like ten to four minutes left, and that's been a real development for him too. Because he, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but he used to miss that shot. Now he's making it. Um, I thought he he was key. And then Tiger Campbell, they were shutting him down because they were sneaking over a couple of guys. Well, one other guy to contain him and not let him into the paint. And then again, their energy just broke down and suddenly Campbell was able to get some penetration and, and score himself. So, yeah. And I, I saw some people saying um, something to the effect that UCLA shot kind of an unsustainable amount from like 16 to 18 feet in that game, you know, like from like a foot within the uh, three point line. And that's probably true. But they also shot really poorly from three. So I think it kind of balances out because, you know, you would expect them to hit a few more threes. You'd expect them to miss a couple more of those twos. Um, but I didn't think anything was completely out of the realm of imaginable for what they did. Basically, what I'm saying is I think offensively, um, maybe not perfectly sustainable. It would have to come in a different distribution. But I don't think anything was like completely outsized and crazy about that offensive game. Uh, they hit a lot of mid-range stuff, but they missed a ton of threes, and some of them are wide open. Um, so I didn't yeah. think it was uh, uh, an anomalous offensive explosion. Um, I thought it was you know, pretty in line with what we've seen this year when they've been moving the ball well and they've been sharing it and um, you know, making sure you know, everyone is kind of involved. Um, the others, me, the, the, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say one more big takeaway was, I, I mean – I don't know what version of Cody Riley that was, but he wasn't he wasn't all there, and he only played 20 minutes. UCLA beat Arizona, and Arizona, this isn't a typical Arizona team. They're not as talented as usual, but there's, they still have some talent, and they've got some matchup advantages over UCLA, especially when UCLA really doesn't have a viable post player. So to beat them by 14 points when uh, Riley's in foul trouble or he's on an exercise bike, or when he's in the game, he's so erratic. Uh, I mean, the fouls, the uh, the uh, how many layups? I stopped counting at three because in the first half, just easy, soft, underhanded layups that you, Dave, could block. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, just a weird version of him. He looks out of sorts. It might be related to the ankle, but that was. That was a, I thought that was the biggest accomplishment and takeaway from the game, that UCLA beat Arizona by 14, really without without uh, a post player. Um, and you got to give Mick Cronin just a ton of credit. I, I mean, they're 11-3. and three. If you watched this team, just watched them in a vacuum without knowing their record, for like, you know, 10 minutes of almost most games, you'd say, ah, lower half of the Pac-12. <laughs> How they're eleven and three, I, I I have no idea. Well, I do. It's just it's a phenomenal coaching job at this point. Yeah, I would say um, definitely a good coaching job. I think they've gotten a little bit lucky with some of the matchups earlier in the year. Not having to play Oregon is certainly benefiting um, them. I think, uh, but I. I I think particularly in this game, um, as much as they were shooting it really well and they had good matchups in the second half, it was so much about the defense and the energy. Um, yeah. The, and it wasn't like it was um, purely good, you know, fundamental stay in front of your man defense. There wasn't, you know, there was some, still some breakdowns in that regard, but they were so active, um, which is I think what this team has to be if you're 
you know, and this is what I think um, you can still have a good defense if you don't have superior athletes, if you're really active, um, because then you can play the passing lanes, which they did a ton. I mean, they were, there was a sequence, I think at the beginning of the second half where they stole the ball in like three straight possessions. It was nuts. Um, but, But they got their hand on so many balls and it was everybody. It wasn't just you know, Tiger Campbell with quick hands or Jules Bernard, pretty much everybody was getting a steal um, or getting their hands on a ball or whatever. Um, Cody Riley had a steal. Um, so it was just, I, I thought that part of it from an effort and energy standpoint, that's the part that's intriguing for me. And it's, you know, I mean, it's no surprise. We've talked about defense a ton on this over the years um, and how we, you know, are both kind of bigger fans of that than the offensive end anyway. Um, but that's the part where if that is sustainable, um, I, look, the, the upside for this team got shaved off, um, probably when Chris Smith went down, but certainly when Jalen Hill, um, uh, left for personal reasons and we'll see if, if he ever, if he comes back this year. Um, but the upside got shaved off, but I still think this team has potential. Um, it still has potential, I think, to be pretty decent and, I think it's much more matchup dependent in the NCAA tournament if they do end up getting there, if they can sustain this level of effort. Um, but they could still be a really interesting team to watch throughout the Pac-12 tournament, potentially win that thing, and then you know see what see where they land seating wise and matchup wise. But I don't think the season is completely over um, because that defensive performance last night I think was much more in line with what everyone expected coming out of the year last year. And that's even acknowledging the personnel deficiencies they do have. And along those same lines, I want to make this point, too. Um, First, you're talking about Jalen Hill. Um, I put it on the form today that as of right now, he's out indefinitely. There's there's no expectation for him to come back at this point. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean he won't. I'm just saying at this moment in time, they do not expect him back. And when it comes to returning the program... I think everyone around the program is absolutely uncertain what's going to happen with him, uh, even beyond just returning for next week, but down the, down the road. So that's where Jalen Hill is. Along those lines, Mac Etienne struggled last night, um, struggled defensively, particularly. There were a couple of Times when, you know, the big man goes out to, and I'm just going to keep calling it Hedges screen. Uh, They're calling it something, uh, coaches are calling it something else these days, but I'm still going to call it that. And he blew a couple of hedges, didn't know like which, didn't quite stay out to block off the, the dribbler and rotated back too quickly, which left two opportunities. So he's got a lot of ways to go, obviously. I mean, he should be a senior in high school, but he's got athleticism, like the way he moves, has some potential offense, could be a good, you know, shot blocker. But Ken Nawuba, in his 12 minutes, it was really marked, too, because Mac Eddian blew the hedge. Uh, Cronin yanked him. Uh, Nawuba came in and really perfectly hedged a screen um, from that. And I went back and watched late last night and watched his defense. He played, he played, I'm not going to say really good defense, but he played very solid defense um, going forward. When it comes to the post player, of course they, they need Cody Riley to settle down and become and return to who he was. And I completely endorse him playing at the end because you want him every minute he, he spends on the court is, is him getting better. But right here in the short term, if you're talking you just need a defensive post presence, I'd have to feel that Nawuba needs to be maybe given a little bit more of an opportunity here. What do you think? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I don't um, – with Riley, I think a little bit of it was the ankle, a little bit. Um, but that's also – if you've watched Cody Riley against Arizona over the years or against, well – uh, just high major interior athletes. This is kind of the game he has. Um, it's just, he does get blocked a lot. And I think he did have a little bit less lift than usual in this one um, because of the ankle. Um, he wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't as explosive as he usually is. Not that he's particularly <laughs> explosive, but usually he could, he probably, you know, in, in a fully healthy ankle situation, maybe he powers one of those through, right? 
Um, but he generally struggles against Arizona in particular, but just high major um, elite athletes on the interior generally. Um, I don't think it's – I think against Arizona State, he could play 25 minutes and score 16 points. Um, I, I, I think that's completely within the realm of possibility. Um, I don't know how much the ankle is limiting him. I think if, if he's faced off – if he's in a good matchup, he, he can still score. Um, but if – you know, the question for whether it's Etienne or Nawuba right now, this is where I kind of get – you play Nawuba right now because you're trying to win games right now. You're playing Etienne because you're trying to win games next year. Um, and I'm kind of in the trying to win games next year camp. Um, and you Etienne, always are, and yeah. I completely appreciate that. I see it too. Yeah, yeah. and and at the end, um, there are some nice. He's not a complete net negative on the on the floor, or a complete negative on the floor. I should say he might be a net negative right now, but he's not a complete negative. Um, the offensive rebounding he brings to the table, um, they just. I won't. I I don't know if it was just like the relative context of watching Cody Riley really struggling to get any lift, but. Etienne really struck me as kind of bouncy yesterday, um, and I don't think he's you know really thought of as a vertical athlete. But in the context of Riley, he looked particularly bouncy yesterday, <laughs> um, yeah. and uh, I I don't know. I would be interested in seeing more and more of him. Um, Nawuba, I think you know what you've got. I don't. I think if you leave him on the floor too long, he only got knocked for one of the fouls. But you remember that sequence where UCLA fouled on like three straight possessions. Mm-hmm. I could have sworn at least no, two of those No, it was were. three fouls in one possession. Yeah, three fouls in one possession. Sorry. Yeah. I could have sworn at least yeah. two of them should have been on him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's. I, I think he definitely brings a little bit more of that defensive presence to the table. I think in this sort of game um, where he can just kind of come in and beat up, you know, some softer interior guys, I think that helps. Uh, but I think, again, it's kind of matchup dependent. I don't think you can necessarily play him a ton against Arizona State. Right, so let's look ahead. Arizona State, don't have to play them. You can go small in that game. Utah, next game, they've got some bigs. I mean, they kind of go with different lineups, but they generally play a, a, a few different big guys. Colorado, uh, I mean, they've got that big wide dude. Why am I spacing on his name? Batty. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh I mean, maybe sparingly there when it comes to being against Colorado, and and then you've got SC to finish it off, which yeah. those two bigs are devastating. Those uh, the well, two USC USC you almost have to throw out because it's just you're not matching up with them on the interior. So I think you're almost better served to try to create mismatches with your offensive play. Like that's one where. It kind of is the you know hand the ball to Johnny and hope he scores 30 yeah, um, because I just there's no without Jalen Hill I think the matchup there is just <laughs> it's hope hope you're extremely hot like just hope you're like killing it from three because otherwise it's gonna be a tough game and the, the thing with Cody Riley I, w- I want to add I think I wrote it too was he was going up soft and obviously you know he still might be inhibited by the ankle but what Cody Riley has learned to do and what's made him so effective is establishing space and carving out space before he even gets the feed. He, he's got those wide shoulders. He usually carves that out so he doesn't have to rely on his verticality to finish. And he was not he was not doing that at all. Maybe it's tweaked his whole – he did it a couple of times and he, had, he got easy layups because he, he had space. But when he kind of turns after not establishing the space and he's got the ball in his hands – it doesn't even matter what's up with his ankle. He's gonna get, he's gonna get contested. So he he hasn't been doing that. If if I had to analyze how his games really changed, and whether that's a result of his ankle, eh, I, I mean we don't know. But that would be kind of questionable. You think you'd still be able to establish your 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 space w- w- even with an ankle injury? But who knows? Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, Arizona is, they are a tough matchup from that angle. I mean, they are one of the best shot-blocking teams in the Pac-12. Nationally, I think they're 38th in block percentage. Like, they're they're pretty good at blocking shots. They're pretty good at, you know, I mean, they've got a lot of size. Um, So, it's a tough matchup for him. He wasn't 100%, so 
whatever. I think I think it's more or less the same Cody. I think, yeah, I think your point is correct. He's not carving out space nearly as well, um, maybe because of the ankle. But in a different matchup, it, it's not going to matter as much. Um, and I think against Colorado, he can still score because um, Batty is big and wide, but he's not going to contest him. And the thing is, what you're getting from Cody is generally not um, incredible post defense, even against you know relatively weak post players. Um, you're 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 playing him for offense, um, and I think he'll be able to score on Batty. Um, this is just this is a tough one for him to do what he's best at, which is score points. Well, let's go back a little and just kind of bask a bit in that that is was just not a good Arizona team. <laughs> it's. It's so weird, and the thing is, like, all these guys are, like, entirely new, too. Like, I felt this coming with, like, Arizona over the last, I don't know, four or five years, where they always seem to have, like, three or four guys. I mean, like, I don't even know where they came from. They're just yeah. randomly on this team suddenly, but this is an entire team of it, where it's just like, wow, they've got just a million new dudes, and um, they just feel mismatched. Like, they feel... It feels like, honestly, what it feels like is if um, John Calipari was trying to do his one-and-done thing with a bunch of guys rather than a bunch of, like, five-star athletes. Well, I'll tell you this, though. I, I don't know if I should give Sean Miller a little bit of credit here because over the years I, I've thought his teams have, given the talent, have underachieved. Generally, there have probably been some that – that lived up to their talent, but going out there and getting all of these new guys from transfers and foreign players. I mean, I thought going into the season and, and given the state and the mentality of the Arizona program under investigation, I thought they would, I thought there was a likelihood that they could melt down. They've actually played better together than I would have guessed. Um, they're just not that greatly talented. But getting all of those disparate pieces and putting them together to actually play decently, kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of worked to an can extent. You, can you um, stop trying to shore up Sean Miller's job in Arizona so that he stays there for another few years? It's you disingenuous. Know I'm just telling you, know you why? Crazy. You know why we really don't want that to happen? Because if they did fire Sean Miller. Uh, from what we're hearing, Arizona just does not. They don't have the money to go out and get a big time, a big time coach. I mean, that's what you're saying. Let's keep him there, and they, you know, moderately underachieve instead of getting a big. They can't afford a big time coach, so I'm not doing that disingenuously, Dave. I'm doing it legitimately. I mean, I'm not necessarily giving them credit. I just thought that's a lot of different bodies that come in and throw them into a team without a lot of practice in the summer because of COVID. And they've actually, you know, haven't let's let's give them credit for having them not melt down. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they've lost uh, five of their last seven. Okay. Well, that's a, they're they're coming close to melting down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like this one, honestly, that looked like a team that had quit in the second half. Uh, just kind of going through the the, the energy level was was striking. It yeah. really was uh, on on their defense. I, I mean. Uh, they were they had a they had a lid on UCLA's offense in the first half for the most part. Then second half, there there was just suddenly a lot of room for UCLA for open space to take shots. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so one other bit of really big news on the basketball program from the basketball program this week: commitment of five-star 2022 guard Amari Bailey. Yeah, um, it's a it's a pretty pretty interesting pretty great story. Um, originally from the Chicago area, in the eighth grade he verbally committed to DePaul. Um, then got the opportunity to come out to California, go to Sierra Canyon. Uh, decommitted from DePaul, committed to Steve Alford. Uh, Steve Alford. Gets so you got to start questioning the judgment there, right? You know what? I kind of don't. Uh, for one standpoint, um, and I've learned this, and he actually said this too. UCLA, he feels, is a really good fit for him as a school and an environment, and he wanted to stay in LA. Um, so 
he, I mean, are you gonna are you gonna judge, let's say, Jaime Yaquez or Jake Kaiman? I mean, I, no, they're no. good fits for UCLA, and I think they did it, you know, despite, despite Steve Alford. So I'm not gonna, you know, uh, he's not losing credibility to me for that. And then he did decommit, took his time, reco- recommits to UCLA, and this time to McCronin, uh, almost a year and a half later, I think, if I can't even put it together. Um, we all now have seen him play on tape enough. Uh, before we went on this on the air here, Dave and I were trying to come up with a comp for yeah. him, and there really isn't one. No, I, I don't think there's a good one. At least not like I'm trying to come up with like a UCLA comp that makes sense um, because. You know, it's the context most people are operating within and certainly the one I have the most familiarity with. And I know people have said like a lefty Norman Powell, but I, I, I no, I don't really see it. I think um, Bailey's got more creativity to him. He can pass. He can he has vision, um, not a point guard, but certainly has more of those combo elements and uh, different kind of athlete. I think uh, Powell is a lot of power and strength. I don't see that as much with Bailey. I think he's a really good athlete, but maybe a little bit smoother, not necessarily as built out as Powell. But then like who else is there? Like we were just talking about it and it's like, is he is he Russell Westbrook? And again, I don't see the like the I don't know, the pure explosion that was Westbrook. Um but I don't I really don't know. I don't have a good one for him. He's he's certainly yeah. very good. Like fun to watch, but don't have a good comp. God, I, I don't even know. And I don't want to say this because people will say, well, he's going to be better than him. But as a prospect, maybe if I go back a long ways, maybe Ray Young. <laughs> I mean, kind of similar, maybe as a high school player. Do you remember yeah. Ray Young? I remember the player. I don't remember him yeah. as a prospect. Yeah, he was a big time prospect uh, out of high school. Uh, probably about the same size, kind of the same athleticism. Uh, I think what makes Amari Bailey really unique, um, he's he's in the database as a combo guard, and and I I understand why. I mean, I get it. Uh, he's not a point guard. Uh, he just doesn't have that kind of approach, feel, handle. But he does have point guard uh, skills. Um, he has a very good sense, passing sense and vision. Um, so while he doesn't come off like a point guard, he can bring the ball up, he can execute, get your offense going, and he can make a pass. So uh, whether that's a combo guard or not, they're throwing around the term combo guard more and more, and it, it it's not kind of what it used to be. And, I mean, Jaden Hardy is not a combo guard. <laughs> Uh, but somehow they're getting put in our databases. This, so we got to go with it. Um, if you watched, did you watch that tape of of Bailey playing against Jaden Hardy that yeah, we I posted this morning? Yeah, yeah, really interesting too. Uh, Jaden Hardy's probably a good inch taller, bigger, looks older. Uh, he is older, but it's really encouraging that Amari Bailey still looks like a baby. I mean, he looks really young, his face. Well, and his length, I, I mean, if you look his, at it, like yeah. the way his arms just look, I mean, I, I, I walked away thinking he's still going to grow two or three inches. Like, he just yeah. looks young. He has grown. I saw him probably a year and a half ago, and he was said to be 6'3". I thought he was like 6'1 and a half, 6'2". Now he's, people said 6'4". To me, he's 6'3 and a half, maybe, to 6'4". But he's conti- he continues to grow. He's only 17. He's got a couple more, well, year and a half worth of, worth of high school left. So he very well could. Um, he's a good fit all around. What you like about him, too, is he, he likes to play defense. Uh, and uh, someone brought this up on the board. When you get a five-star prospect and there's a circus element to it with hangers on and maybe some other – activity around such a recruit, especially one at a high profile high school like Sierra Canyon. Uh, you, you got a question like uh, if there, if it's tough to get through, there are other things, there are circusy elements. Um, but I made the point that if there's a kid who first 
recognizes UCLA as a good fit for him. And secondly, that he wants to be a one and done and he's going to go somewhere just to showcase the talent and hopefully jump to the NBA. Or he can go play for Mick Cronin and like it's a boot camp and get beaten up by Mick Cronin to make him better. That's kind of right there, a weeding out process. If there's five stars who want to do that, you say, well, okay, that's that's a good version of a five star. It's the same thing with Peyton Watson. So UCLA, great recruiting job, excellent recruiting job. Also a little bit fortunate that the two best players in the 2021 and 2022 class locally in the LA area are those type of guys um, that are good fits for UCLA. So all the way around, a really good uh, recruiting result. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's um, certainly a testament to uh, Mick Cronin's good sense um, that he is looking locally in recruiting. Um, with Because it's I, I, the thing is, okay, yeah, they have lucked out to an extent that Watson and Bailey are both kind of those self-selecting five-star types who want to get better and want to improve and want to get coached. Like, that's all great. But even if maybe the top California kid isn't like that in one particular year, well, guess what? There are probably five or six other prospects locally within a 50-mile radius who are good enough that you could then go grab. And it's great to see uh, a UCLA head coach uh, taking advantage of uh, what you might call <clears throat> the natural advantages of the UCLA coaching job. I knew where you were going with that. Are, are you talking about just randomly? Just, no, no, just in, in a vacuum, you know, vacuum. relative to you. nobody else, yeah. relative to no other current UCLA major sport head coaches. Okay. Just, that's, it's that's good, good to see, it's good to see a UCLA head coach taking advantage and uh, like not even being facetious. Um, I think the recruiting job Mick Cronin's done so far uh, is pretty close. I mean, I, 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 pretty close to perfect. I mean, pretty close to exactly what you would want to do. Um, yeah. I think there's still some personnel, you know, personnel deficiencies that they need to work out for the next couple of years. Um, but what they've done so far in recruiting and, Really, they are a Dacian Knicks G League decision away from really, really having nailed it. Because if you add if you add Dacian Knicks to this team, yeah. Well, if you add Dacian Knicks to this team, even without Smith and Hill, um, I don't know. They would still be they would still be really interesting at this point in the year. I think Um, right now you've kind of lopped the upside off. You could still talk yourself into them getting super hot with an elite point guard. Sure. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, Mick Cronin, five stars. Great work. Great work, man. Uh, you touched on it. So let's talk a little bit about future rosters personnel um, because it's fun. It is fun. <laughs> uh, next year, I've been saying for a while, and this comes obviously from very good sources, uh, it's anticipated that Jalen Hill and Cody Riley will not be at UCLA next year. Um so you can kind of just draw a little line through them kind of tentatively with, in pencil. That's, that's the feeling. Maybe, maybe that isn't the case in a couple of months. Uh, maybe – I'd have to say, though, what the recent developments with Jalen Hill probably are, are – if anything, are supporting the fact that he will not – he wouldn't return to the program next year. Um, so – you have Will McClendon and Peyton Watson coming in as freshmen. You already have Mac Eddie in, in the program. He'll be a freshman again next year. If they have, if that's their lineup of posts, uh, Mac Eddie and Nwuba, obviously the number one priority in the offseason is a post player. Ideally, it'd be an impact transfer post player who's already played at the elite high major level like someone not not a star not a guy who's 16 and 12 and just looking for a place to you know play one year doesn't care about the team and just wants to showcase for the NBA I mean you you'd like someone who plays at a a elite high major and getting 10 and 8 at this point who can come in kind of be a better version of Jalen Hill let's put it that way um 
combined with Mac Edian, who would be in the program for another year, and then and then the Wuba, if we're not going to get greedy, that's a that would be a pretty good post lineup. Uh, UCLA is, I'm sure, is very much aware of this. They will be very much looking around the transfer portal for that exact kind of guy, I'd think. Um, that's that's the one real glaring need for next year, wouldn't you say? They would, of course, like to get a point guard transfer uh, or a 2021 guy who emerges somehow um, to back up Tiger, Tiger Campbell and maybe inherit the mantle of the position uh, when he leaves. I think ideally a transfer point guard who has maybe two years, because now we're fantasizing, who has maybe two years of eligibility left, can play behind Tiger or with him for a year and then take over the starting uh, spot in 2022. Then you bring in a 2022 point guard behind that. So in 2022, you've got the transfer and a freshman. That's the ideal situation. Um, Because I'm thinking there might be even more scholarships available. Who knows with this transfer portal thing, if UCLA might lose some guys. And then on top of it, it's still got to be up in the air what Chris Smith does. Um, And he would be just a bonus he doesn't count against – if he came back as a super senior, he does not count against the 13 scholarship limit. So I'd say really desperate need for a post player and and ideally like a 10-8 and eight guy at another elite major program. Yeah, because otherwise you're counting on Mac Etienne making a big leap um, because I think Etienne's going to be good. But watching him this year, I don't know if he's going to be ready to be a – 25 minute a game guy next year i i I would have my doubts Um, yeah i think it's you know i I, and this is normal for big guy development but i think he's probably you know his third year i think he's going to be a really really good player um but uh, the thing is if you look at the makeup of the wing depth next year if nobody left it's going to be crowded like crowded as hell um yes and just thinking about it makes your head spin because there's no way Peyton Watson is coming in to come off the bench in year one. Just no. it's not the way these guys work. So Peyton Watson comes in and he's playing at either the three or the small ball four, whatever you want to call it. Um, or I mean, honestly, uh, to fit yeah, it all in, he might yeah, he I don't he might yeah. he might play some two, but I think you're right. They're looking him at that wing forward kind of Chris. Smith yeah, he, he certainly could, but like suddenly you're talking about a roster where it's going to be if Chris Smith does come back, right? He's playing the whatever the wing forward. There Pete you Watson's go. playing that's, the that's other wing forward position, yeah. and then what's happening at the two? Is Johnny Juzang coming back in this situation? Johnny Juz, uh, this is my opinion. This, this let, let's just say Chris Smith doesn't come back and Peyton Watson comes in. Johnny Juzang and Jaime Yaquez, I think, are untouchable. I think they're in the starting but lineup. But this is my and, point. If Chris and Peyton, Smith and Peyton yeah. Watson are there, then yeah. how do you work out who starts between Jaquez well, let's, and let's first, do, let's first do this. Um, Peyton Watson, as you said, moves into the starting lineup, and I think he uh, supplants Jules Bernard. So that would probably mean Johnny Juzang is guarding the two. Um, I, I Because I think Jaime Yaquez and Johnny Juzang are are untouchable. Now, if you throw in Chris Smith, <laughs> I, I don't know what you do there. Um, yeah, it gets I, it gets really hard. Yeah, it's a it's. I'm sure if we brought this up with McCronin, he'd just say it's a. I would love to have this problem. Um, I don't know if you do because it it makes you make a tough choice because is one year more of Chris Smith worth the potential for one of those other two dudes transferring with more eligibility left? Yeah, it's true. I because think, that's the that would be the yeah. equation unless these guys are much more selfless than I imagine they are. I mean, the, the thing is, Hawkes and Juzang both have um, pro potential. I don't think either of them are surefire NBA prospects, but both have pro potential. Are they really going to take a back seat for one for their third year in college? Well, well, if you're talking about potential to transfer, Juzang's already done it once. Yeah. So transferring again would be problematic for him. He probably feels 
and I haven't heard this. This isn't based on anything. Just, but I know the mindset of how these this all works. He's probably thinking, I after this season, maybe two more years, like next year and another year, and he's putting his name in the draft. I would bet that is the mindset. Oh, I bet his mindset is he's going to put his name in the draft this year and yeah. get some evaluation and then put it in permanently after another year. But exactly. Yeah. So I think what I think what happens is. Uh, among all of those wings, uh, well, let's take Jules Bernard out because I think it would be between Juzang, Yaquez, Smith, and Peyton Watson. Which one of those guys has the best capability of guarding the ball, of guarding a two? Uh, can I take what's behind door number five? Sure. Because <laughs> I have no idea. Those exactly. four dudes, I don't think anybody among them is going – So. None of them are Chris going Smith to match. Yeah, none of them are going to match up athletically with the two. Um, yeah. But it's a question, you know, which one of them has the length to bother them the most? And yeah. so uh, it might be it's, it it's might Chris be Smith. Watson or Smith. Yeah, I think it's Chris Smith because there were times when he gets switched off on smaller guys, and sometimes he gets beat, but he recovers well, and he'd be the savvier veteran guy who knows how to do those kind of things. Yeah, but but uh, again, like I still think it's a problem that coaches still would love to have. Well, and um, I guess that that the reason I brought it up is because it can play into the post conversation too, because we're talking about it being a single post offense. Um, they could also go with um, small ball if they didn't land an impact post, or if they just land like somebody who's backup level at best. You could go with more small ball five, um, which you know maybe it's Smith. Maybe it's Watson, maybe it's Hawkes, whoever um, playing the five. Maybe it's Jalen Clark, who we're not even talking about. But if you're talking about pure athleticism, might be the you know best athlete, best athlete prospect in the entire team. Um, it might be you have to play a little bit more of that small ball five. The offense with that small ball five would be really fun. It would be because matchup problems for other teams. How how does your five? If you have a 6'9", 245, who is he going to guard yeah. there? He's not guarding Chris Smith. I mean, he's going to get he's going to get abused because they're going to draw him out from the basket and he's going to have to like literally try to guard Chris Smith off the dribble. Yeah, um, it'd be like against Colorado, for example. I, I don't know. I think Batty's got another year. Um, it'd be like, what, is, what does Evan Batty do against you? He's 6'8", yeah. 260. Now on the other on the other side of it, it obviously creates problems for you defensively. Maybe Jaime Yaquez is <laughs> is guarding opposing fives. Yeah, it it would be really really tough. I think there's some there are some weird roster possibilities um, going forward, and I think it probably will shake out. Like I think you're going to just see probably one or two guys who just leave. Um, either, you know, beyond just Jalen Hill and Cody Riley, um, you'll probably see like Chris Smith say, nope, I'm not doing this another year or see Jules Bernard transfer out or something to that effect. Um, that'll free up some, some wing minutes. Um, but it is, I mean, it's a, that is a stacked, um, uh, depth chart between the two and the four, uh, in this, configuration like there's just and, a lot of bodies and i've done a little investigation like who would be the most likely to transfer out and leave i'm telling you these guys are happy from what i've heard jules bernard likes it likes it at ucla <laughs> he is if you ask around the program he would not be a, considered like a transfer candidate just given his mindset the Maybe. only reason I would bring him up is because you could still squint and see somebody who could make money playing beyond absolutely ucla Yep. David Singleton and Jake Kaiman, I think, you know, once their eligibility is up, they're probably not making money playing basketball. Um, who knows? I mean, you can be a role player shooter in Europe probably. Um, but they're probably not thinking about this as a potential future for them. So that's why I'm thinking of them as just being on the roster. Um, but certainly if they really wanted to play and start, they could drop down a level. But yeah, I mean, I don't really get a vibe from any of these dudes that they're like particularly unhappy. And here's the other thing, too. If we're talking about losing someone and whether we would regret losing someone, I think the guy I would most regret losing of 
almost everyone we've mentioned here is Jalen Clark. Oh yeah. 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 He's going to be really good. He's and it's something to maybe be a little bit afraid of because first off, you got someone who's probably going to directly compete for him, similar type of player a bit in Will McClendon. And then you'd have to say another direct competitor coming the next year will be Amari Bailey. Um, so I just hope he doesn't feel he needs to leave because I think that guy's going to be a player within a couple of years. Um, it's going to be tough yeah. for him because the, the, the thing I'm thinking about for next year is just where are the minutes going to come? Uh, yeah. Because I think what he needs to do is he needs to really, really put a ton of work in this offseason to develop as an offensive player because for better or worse, um, just judging by the decisions that have been made so far in terms of personnel choices, you got to have at least some offense uh, to yeah. play for Mick Cronin. Um, yep. And you got to be able to shoot a little bit. Um, and right now he hasn't shown it. Um, he needs to put a ton of work in on that three-point shot so that he can keep teams honest. Because I think Mick Cronin would prefer to play him um, because I think he likes his defense a lot. But I don't think he's willing to sacrifice um, somebody being... And I, I don't think he's a complete zero on the offensive end. I've loved his offensive rebounding, his putbacks, and that sort of stuff. But he's kind of a junk player right now. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's willing. I don't think he's willing to play that and it's probably in context of the personnel he has he knows he needs to um maybe err on the side of offense a little bit but i do think we tend to be in the howland mindset the early howland mindset where it was like we're just going to play defenders and that's just what we're going to do and you know luke luke yeah we're just stuck on freshman luke forever um but i i don't think that's the way the decisions are being made and i don't i'm not saying it's right or wrong but jalen clark needs to get a little bit better offensively if he's going to play more than 10 minutes a game next year. That was very profound, actually. That was very good insight because you're right. Because Cronin is such a defensive-minded coach, so much of our the way we relate to all this is to think about Howland's approach and to personnel and to who he plays, and it's not the same. So that was a, that was a really good point. But we're coming up with a question, and we touched on it. Given all of this, is it better for UCLA if Chris Smith doesn't return next year? This is the tricky part because I think – so with Chris Smith, you're getting somebody who's got a ton of experience at that point. I think will be a absolutely locked down uh, – knocked down – sorry, not locked down. Knocked down <laughs> three-point shooter um, yeah. from that big wing spot. Um, and I don't know that there's anybody else who really fits the bill there because he can do it. Um, just over dudes like he can shoot straight over guys um, and make threes um, with his, well he his should be life. he wasn't even getting that this season he he was still not getting that but he was coming around but you're right he should be able to do that yeah, um, yeah. but he's he's got that potential um, so I think you still take him the thing is it's it's again it's we're all big because we're all big on the future right we're always talking about what's two years three years down the line so when it's what we're we thinking do. When we're thinking about a guy like Chris Smith, we're like, well, it's only one year, right? It's one more year of the guy, so what is that? Um, but in terms of winning next year, I think you take him back, right? Because I think that that team next year, like the team this year, if everything had broken correctly in terms of um, you know Chris Smith not going down, Dacian Nix coming in, that whole thing, had real deep NCAA tournament potential. Next year's team does too. And Chris Smith added to that, it adds to that potential. Um, so I think for Mick Cronin, it's going to be a no brainer for us because we're thinking about, well, building a sustainable program. You probably want more Jaime Hawkes, Johnny Juzang. You probably want more years of those guys. So you don't want to take the potential for a transfer risk, blah, 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 blah. Mick Cronin's not thinking that and he doesn't care about that. He's thinking yeah. about, okay, what, what could make us a better team next year? It's Chris Smith coming back. Great. Let's get Chris Smith back. That's what you and I think in most and a lot of fans and even a lot of analysts, because it's what it's what we're here to do. You know, that's what we do. Coaches don't do not think that way. They literally think about right now what makes me better. And that will be the what they'll apply to next season. What will make us better this season? Because I've talked in depth to coaches about it, because even though there could be ramifications where someone transfers out or this or this. 
the potential to win more or win at a higher level by being good right now is more beneficial down the line than it is to uh, retain some guys you might not retain given personnel situation. Yeah, and that's the thing. And uh, like, not to, but like, no one guy at this point is making or breaking the program. Um, a, a really good season, like a really good season that gets you to, you know, deep run in the tournament, Final Four type stuff. Uh, that makes your program at least for yep. a significant extent of, uh, period of time. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it'd be a no-brainer for him. We would have more, you know, reservations because we, you know, we like seeing, you know, particularly like a Jalen Clark. We'd really like seeing him and seeing what his growth uh, is going to look like. So, all things being equal, he'd love it if just everybody stayed. Um, but you know, generally like, in in college sports as they are now, that just isn't the way it works out. It's similar to when people on the forum they're talking about things and next year, next game, and someone then comes on and says, "Let's just take this one game at a time." <laughs> oh yeah, it's just. Are you? Are you? Why are you even on this board? How have you been songs? reading along for this long? And you think anybody in this entire realm is taking things one game at a time? I'm often not even thinking about the game. I'm thinking about how it might impact three years from now. Like oh god! I think we should have well, a that's one the game at a well, and, time forum. Yeah. That all you can do is put up posts, <laughs> literally about only like right now. The next you can game. only write about the previous game and the upcoming game, and that's it. Um, yeah, because that's but, all you could focus on, Dave. Everything else is just is is distraction for us as yeah. players. Oh wait, no, <laughs> we're they're just fans on a forum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and not even to go into like the the Johnny Juzang thing again because I think that's been done to death. But like, who? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, my whole thing on him is, well, gosh, what does letting him shoot like this do for the team next year? And I realize that's like an objectively crazy thing to think, right? Like, what does this? How does this impact things for next year in terms of building your culture and all that kind of stuff? And other people rightly are saying, well. Nobody else is taking shots, so he's got to do it. I'm like, yeah, but wouldn't you rather just lose now so you're building a better culture for next year? Which is just absolutely insane thinking. Like, absolutely crazy pants. I think I've gone completely through from, like, rationally considering the future and, like, putting it in proper context to, yeah, purely just thinking about, oh, yeah, but I'm more interested in what looks what this looks like two years from now. What would happen if the site became... Uh, if, if we would only put up content or posts if we were just thinking about the next game. It would be extremely boring. <laughs> <laughs> like imagine writing that much about ASU. We should do it. We should just like uh, at one point, you know, as we're getting older, Dave, let's just start doing some stuff for fun. I mean, we should just do that. For, just do a parody okay. site for a day or two. Yeah. Par- oh God, I've got I've got ideas for so many parody sites. Be great. Uh, I know we should. I I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna be on my way out when I retire. It's gonna be just. I might as well burn bridges, right? Burn yeah. No. Bridges. At that point, just that burn matter? them all. Just with some amazing parody sites. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Or maybe we should just redo it for April 1st for the next, like, six years. Yeah, I love okay. it. I love it. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll, we'll talk, talk about it off air. We don't want to give away our plans well, here. So that's um, – and we could get really <laughs> – in this context, why don't we talk about 2022? Because <laughs> 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 we got the commitment from Amari uh, – and I'll just, I'll just drop this on you so you all start thinking. I'm going to have a story that comes out on Monday – I think about this. Um, I don't think Tiger Campbell will be around. That will be his, uh, if you weren't granted the NCAA additional year, that would be his redshirt senior year. So it'd be his fifth year. Um, don't ask me the question of, well, where else is he going to go? You go play in Europe like everyone does. Have you heard all the coaches say, like Mick Cronin has said, I don't see too many people who are going to be using that super senior year. Because they just think they're done. They're over. They're done. They're moving on. And the subtext of that, just so everyone knows, a lot of coaches want them to move on. There are very few instances where coaches want those fifth 
those super seniors to come back. And I'm, I'm borrowing my knowledge from football coaches too, for a number of reasons, just, you know, uh, okay, we know what you can do. You've done it. Okay. Move on. We want to move on. We want to start trying these other younger guys. One, two, we don't want to carry your scholarship. I mean, that's a real concern for a lot of programs. Um, that's just one more additional scholarship we got to pay for. Um, so I think Tiger Campbell will not be here for 2022. Uh, that's my opinion. As I said, I, I don't think Johnny Juzang will be here for 2022. Um, and I believe Jules Bernard, David Singleton, that would be their super senior years. I think they will be gone after next season, after the 2021. They've got some recruiting to do. So uh, what's fun, that's where I'm going. They've, so they'll probably have four scholarships to give, which would be Amari Bailey's one, uh, a post player, easily. you got to take post player every year, and especially UCLA. And then that what we were talking about is that point guard who might be your long-term answer at point. And then that fourth, best available, a wing forward, you know, so many guys right now, all those guys, if you look on bro and you look at basketball recruiting and you click on UCLA's targets for 2022 and you see all these guys who are 6'9 to 6'10 and 215 pounds, you think in, in, in the database, sometimes they're listed at post player as a post player. And maybe when they get to college, they will be post players. But every one of those guys right now thinks they're a wing. It's, it's not only the way it used to be that way, it's more so now. Everyone thinks they're a face-up wing. Um, so think about that when you're thinking about, well, we need new post players, we need another post. There just aren't that many because so many of those guys think they're going to be Chris Smith-like. Um, but it's still a lot of fun to start thinking about the 2022 class, especially with the fact that they just got its first commitment in a five-star guy in Amari Bailey. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see um, because these are, <laughs> I mean, so they've gotten uh, the number one ranked player in California for two straight classes. Like, uh, so I'm all for recruiting a ton of talent and not to get into like, oh, well, we don't want to recruit too much talent, but um if you've got one one and done in a class, which is probably what Peyton Watson and Amari Bailey both are, uh, you don't want to have too many, lest you become kind of Kentucky-like, uh, where the turnover every year is kind of brutal. So it does become kind of a nuanced thing with your recruiting. Um, like when you're talking about the 2022 point guard, I'd be looking for somebody who's going to be around for more than a year. Like I'd be looking for somebody who's going to be a two or three year player at least. Um, just because you want some sustainability in the program. Because you're talking about a bunch of guys leaving for that year. Um, a uh, bunch of I'm guys gonna, who are the backbone of the program, too. It's funny. I've been thinking about this this exact idea. You've really like been reading my mind in this podcast. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. First off, I think Peyton Watson is a two-year guy. And, you know, this is but my... Do you, but does Peyton right. Watson think he's a two-year guy? Peyton Watson is a kid who really has his head on right. And I think he might feel that after one year, he needs to just get very simply bigger and, and stronger. I think Amari Bailey is a two-year guy. Um, whether they think so or not, you're, you're right. That's always, that's always an element. Um, when it comes to that 2022 point guard, uh, there's a guy named Milos Uzon who UCLA has offered. He's now at, uh, uh, prolific prep in Napa, which is kind of um, <laughs> just a basketball factory. He left his high school because they weren't playing the season and he wanted to play. So that's kind of actually a good sign. I like him. We were discussing this on the forum in one thread. I don't know if you saw it, Dave. Um, I like his long-term potential. Uh, he's really good vision, passing ability, can create his his jump shot is still a, his outside shot is still a set shot, but it's, you know, it will come around. His defense though was a little, is a little questionable, just not big or physical enough yet. Still pretty thin, a little narrow. 
So see, that's the thing. If you get a 2022 point guard and Tiger Campbell is no longer there and you don't get that holdover transfer guy to hold down the position for two years, you are going to need that 2022 point guard to come in and start. Yeah. Um, They will obviously, as soon as they're able to go out and look at guys, which will probably be the start of June, June 1st, uh, a lot more guys will get on their list, obviously. But that's that's an interesting thing to think about because they are going to start recruiting the 2022 class this spring and summer. And so much of what they do for 2022 will depend on what they do out of the transfer portal this spring and summer, too. Um, so we'll see. In that point, you're right that you'd want some continuity, especially at point guard. Yeah, it's just. I mean, it's going to be that's going to be the transition point. I think more than uh, even next year. Um, you know, because they do have the potential to recruit a lot of dudes. And even if even if you lose Smith, Hill, and Riley, let's just say just those three, you're still returning a bunch of the Cronin core, right? The the guys who made up the first Cronin team, second Cronin team. Most of those guys would be returning. Uh, but that 2022 year, I mean, that is going to be the year where there is some real changeover um, from dudes who played a lot of minutes and then potentially some of the guys who brought in who were brought in by Crone and leaving. Um, so it's going to be interesting. But that's what we do here. We talk about things two years in the future that may change drastically in the meantime. No, it's you're fun. really right. 2022 is it. I, I mean, the only guy I could see who's getting a lot of time right now, who will probably still be key in the rotation would be Jaime Yaquez because that would be officially his senior year, even though it's his junior because he got an additional year. But you could see another point guard. You could see Jalen Clark and or Amari Bailey, Peyton Watson, Mac Etienne. I mean, that's, that's the year where a lot of new faces will take over major minutes yeah and that'll be the first year of i think the true um what will be entirely a cronin roster too um yeah you know next year you're still gonna have a lot of faces that have been there for quite some time but the year following that'll be a a pure cronin roster and it'll be interesting to see what that looks like yes okay okay dave you got anything else um, no i mean i know I know you're just so enamored of the football program and you, I, before we went on air, I said, I don't really feel like talking about football. You said, Tracy, I want to talk football. So, I mean, did you want to say anything? I didn't want to like neglect your need. Can you hear a tumbleweed? (laughs) (laughs) Crickets. Hey, spring practice is right around that's true, Tracy. Do we know exactly wrote, when yet? Uh, we do not. If it if it's when it's <laughs> I know a bunch of other schools are delaying theirs that they typically do in March to April. So I would imagine, given that we've heard nothing, I'd imagine no, they're not no, doing. No, it don't go by that. We didn't hear anything <laughs> last year, despite even with or without COVID. In the year before, we didn't hear. Okay, in years previous, Mora before that, we got a sense of what spring practice would be like probably two or three weeks ahead. Kelly's spring practices the day before was when we were told. That's so crazy. Yeah. Um, The media is just kind of an afterthought. Yeah. It's It's Um, great. We love it. So it would usually be, it would be Tuesday, March 2nd. Yeah. Is when it would start. Um. Yeah, I've I've asked UCLA and they said we're still trying. Basically, we're still trying to nail that down. Exciting, exciting. Well, yeah. they'll be spring practicing. Uh, they return basically everybody. Uh, they've got some new faces. It'll be interesting to see. Okay, good. That was a great. You love it. Good, good football. That, that's basically all my unit previews coming up. I mean, it's just gonna be that. It's gonna be great. That's not true. I read your quarterback preview. That was. It was really good. It was beautiful. You laughed, you cried. <laughs> I did cry. <laughs> Thinking about one more year. One more year. <laughs> That's not what... Oh, gosh. Uh, uh, do you think about Chip Kelly? Like, just random thoughts all the time. You're out for ice cream with your kids, and you probably think about Chip Kelly. It never. He never crosses my mind. 
Thank God. I don't know what's worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is good. Uh, I think I think I'm done with you for the afternoon. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty done with you uh, entirely. Um, all right. <laughs> Wow, that was unnecessary antagonism for how much my heart swells for you. I know. I know. What are you going to do? I don't know. I feel like, I feel really hurt, Dave. Yeah. My therapist, my therapist is I need to tell people when I I thought I was your therapist. I don't have a therapist. But if I did, they would say, tell Dave that he hurts your feeling. So, Dave, I'm officially. That's great to be honest and open. (laughs) I appreciate that about you. <laughs> You're supposed <laughs> okay. Damn, damn. I okay, good. Well <laughs> for Tracy uh, Pearson, that guy over there. He, we love him. We love him, don't we folks? Okay. We do. I'm David Woods, Burn Report Online. UCLA site on the twenty four seven sports network. And we'll talk to you again next time. Everyone be safe out there, but I think everyone, I don't know why, everyone should just maybe drink this weekend, but be, but be safe. Safely. Safely.